Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and thanks to your malt mates at Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit-down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic thing that it is, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. And this week, I sat down with Johan van der Volt, head brewer at Green Beacon. I have extended a number of invitations to Johan to join the show over the years, but Johan has always tended to let his beers do the talking rather than talking about himself. After hearing today's podcast, you might find that a little surprising though, as you are going to hear a brewer talking quite effusively and very passionately about his background, how he got into brewing, his progression to become head brewer at Green Beacon, and his approach to crafting a beer. Initially, I was just hoping to talk a little about his approach to making beer when trialling little-known and experimental hops, but I got much, much more. Enjoy this conversation with Johan. Johan van der Volt. Welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Hi, Matt. Thank you. How do I go with that pronunciation? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not bad. It's not uh, bad. You, you, you say it for me. Just... Van der Volt. Van der Volt. Van der Volt. Okay. Take it as that. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Beer is a Conversation. And uh, now, we are here to talk a little bit about hops and experimental hops, but first of all, congratulations. Uh, firstly, on uh, we haven't spoken on um, Beer is a Conversation, but... Three years in a row champion uh, brewery in your category at the Australian International Beer Awards. And uh, more recently, um, that success has seen you, uh, you know, acquired. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. And you should be. And uh, again, I, it, it's one of the things that Pete and I talk about on the show a little bit is about what do awards mean. And, you know, a gold medal is a gold medal. You can never take it away. But it's almost something that matters in the aggregate where, you know, winning one award um, is great. Um, well, winning a gold is great. Um, to win a champion brewery is, is is excellent, but the consistency with which you guys have uh, done uh, done that is a real credit to you. Yeah, no, definitely, absolutely. Um, it goes to show. For me, the most important thing is we are a very young team. It was when we started off. I've been with the company now, just over six years. We started off. Mark and Adrian were the brewers. I got in there, I started brewing, and they stepped away to do more important, you know, running the business, and I was the only brewer there. So I was brewing, I was doing all the cellar work, kegging, cleaning kegs, all of that. And then eventually, one of the bar guys that always, he was actually ex-little creatures. That was Morgan? Morgan. Yep. Morgan. He, um, he came in and gave me a hand, and I knew he's the right person. It was the two of us, and then... Josh Warren started with us, and then we were quite a tight team, you know, the three of us. And we did a lot of beer there. And then from there, we ended up here. <laughs> and here is being in the uh, production uh, facility at Chiba. Yeah. So, um, look, yeah, so as I said, we, 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 were, we started off with a really young team over here. And all the, the, the guys and girls here, they showed us that they really want to do this. They really invested in this, you know, in what we are doing. They really want to, they, they are really hungry for knowledge and making something, making a career out of that. Let's just step back a little bit. How did you get into brewing in the first place? And, and you, you, from, from your accent and your, your, your surname, you, you're not a native? No, no. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a long story, but 
I studied dental technology in Cape Town. So for some reason, I thought to become a dental technician is going to be an awesome job, which I really <laughs> enjoyed. I really enjoyed the, okay. you know, the fabrication with your hands and the detail to everything. You know, everything had to be perfect. I love that. But I'm going to come back because I describe you as a fastidious brewer. So it's interesting that you, you, you sort of say that. Um, I th- that job actually did teach me a lot of things that I could bring over into brewing. But um, that's another story. But I went over to the UK and I worked there for the, for the South African company over there in London specifically. And um, in South Africa, you don't have much. There wasn't much. Very, it wasn't a lot of different beers. You either you just had Castle or Black Label. But you had this one beer that came up from, that came down from Namibia. And it was a Vintuk Lager. And they make beer according to, you know, the, uh, the German Reinheitsgebot purity law. And so there's no amazing it. And I remember the first time I tasted that beer and I thought, it's got this real malt character in it. It's just, it was so much better than Castle Lager or that. And I just really loved that beer. Going over to the UK, I met my wife and she told me that her granddad actually makes beer. And I'm like, that's amazing. So she's Australian, of course. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought that's amazing. I've never, I've, I've never heard of people that you can make your own beer because it was back then, it was still illegal in South Africa. Oh, so he, he was a home brewer as opposed to a home He was a home brewer, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, it was legal in, illegal in South Africa. And I, I said to her, when I get to Australia, I'm going to make my own beer. That's what I want to do. But then I was only drinking, you know, lagers, and I started drinking some of the English ales, which I liked. But then one day I saw this champagne-like bottle, and it was called Leffe. And I thought, this is a weird bottle. I'll try it out. And it just blew my mind. It was something completely different. And then I saw another big bottle, and it was called Ho Garden. And I had that. And all of a sudden, I fell in love with uh, Belgian beers. It's a little bit like seeing the world in color for the first time. It was. I, I'll never forget it. And I just could not stop drinking those two beers. And I started looking then. I went to all different shops, I can bottle shops I can find to look for Belgian beers. And this was still in the UK? Still in the UK. Uh, eventually, me and my wife went over to Belgium. And I specifically went to look for Belgian beers, went to the cafes and drank beers. I just fell in love with Belgian beers. And what year was this roughly? This would have been, uh, that's hard, I was 22, so eight, 18 years ago. Okay, so early 2000s. Yeah, and um, that's, for me, that's where everything started. And then we came back, um, we came to Australia, and I was here probably for two weeks, and I bought my first homebrew kit, made a lager. Cooper's th- kit? No, no, it was um, from a homebrew shop. Okay. Um, it was still, it was... Um, Brewer's Choice. Brewer's Choice. Okay, David Kitchen uh, owned that in those days, yeah. In Inogra. And I bought a kit there and I made a lager fermenting at like 30 degrees. Was Mel the store manager? A little bit later. A little bit later, okay. She took over from, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, I would always go there, try to make a garden or something and he'd just look at it and go, yo, Han, yo, Han, (laughs) why would you put coriander in a beer? So um, I made it, the first one was a kit beer, and I made it, and I thought, this doesn't taste, it doesn't taste right. It doesn't taste like good beer. And I just kept on trying different things, and yeah. 
I put more beer down the drain as a home brewer than what I drank. Yep. So it became an obsession. In the meantime, I'm still doing dental technology and it just became an obsession. Everything was just revolving around beer. I would go to bed thinking about beer, wake up in the morning, and that was the way it was. I was just obsessed with it. And then um, just one day, a few things happened, and one day I just I was wondering, what do I want to do with my life? And this light bulb went up, and I said, and I think thought to myself, I want to become a, a brewer. And all of a sudden, I just felt, it felt really good knowing that you've got a purpose. There's something that you really want to do. Um, I don't want it to sound too corny or anything, but that's exactly what it was. I just thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And from there on, I was just, how am I going to become a brewer? And that was the next obsession. And then, uh, yeah, one thing led to another and, yeah. And, well, what was the next step? You've, you've made the decision. You've been, were you all grain brewing at that stage? Or yeah. Still, okay. All grain brewing, kegging, uh, all my beers, had the tap system up. Then... I thought about, you know, obviously education was always has always been a good thing for me or something that I really believe in. And I thought, you know, I've sent off a few resumes, you know, and I thought, why would anybody hire a dental technician to be a brewer? And I thought, if somebody wants to take me serious, I'm going to have to have some sort of an education. So I enrolled with the Ballarat course, and that was two years um part-time and roughly around about that time i would on i went to ross kenrick he still had craft brewer okay or he that's the only business he had yep and i was buying a lot of homebrew stuff from him and i was also part of the babs homebrew club yep and i only went there you know just to get in touch with you know more people or just to just talk to people, you know, with anything beer. Yep. And I asked Ross, I said, uh, can I maybe come in on Saturdays and work free of charge for you and just, you know, pack hops He didn't so have forth? Bacchus up in Cleveland. No, he was still stage. in Springwood. Still Springwood, okay, yeah. Yeah, they just moved into Springwood, oh, sorry, Underwood. Underwood, That's where it yep. was. Uh, so I started on Saturdays on my days off, went to him, started packing dried yeast, split five kilo bags of hop into 90 gram bags, sweeping the floors, packing orders. And then he decided he's going to buy backers. And then he asked me, would I like to be the brewer for them? I said, sure. So moved into there, started doing the brewing for him. And it was a big, massive learning curve because the previous owner just basically said, this is how you do things and left. And we were there, you know, me and Andrew Sides still. Yeah, little 50-liter. Uh, yes, yeah. Andrew Sides was the, was the uh, he was, I think he was the manager there. No, okay. Anthony, Anthony was the uh, the manager. Yeah, Andrew was just yeah, helping out with paperwork and stuff. Yep. But then he started, um, uh, Andrew started helping out with the brewing as well. So we did that, did that for a lot, you know, for quite a while, maybe a year and a half or so. And then it was a long travel. We had a one-year-old son, and it was a long travel from Everton Hills to Capalaba. And then I saw a job coming out for Brisbane Brewhouse. And I applied for that job, and the money was, I think, like $12,000 a year more. Okay. And it was in 
So how much was that? Was that like, was that 45? That from, took me to 50. Oh, it took you to 50, okay. 50. So. so it was from like 38 with the one-year-old son. Yeah. Wife not working. That's a lot of passion Ooh, to... Uh, it was. Yeah. yeah. Believe me, we've had to make a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> um, if you get into this business to make money, you're getting into the wrong business. What did just and again, like I, I don't mean I didn't mean to pry into uh, sort of incomes, but um, what does a dental technician make? I was probably at that point, I think maybe about seventy thousand a year. Okay, so it was a big, big yeah. Cut. So it went from seventy thousand a year, starting on minimum wages to thirty eight thousand. Yeah. It might even have been thirty six or thirty seven back back then. Yeah. But I just kept on saying to my wife, you've got to think about, you know, the, the bigger picture. And, you know, I'm really lucky in that sense that my wife always stood with me, next to me. And she, even though it was really hard at times, but she, she believed in me. Mm. And I believed in myself. And, you know, and I always said, do what you want to do, do what you believe in. And then money will come. If it comes, yeah, but that's not the most important thing in life. We won't ask uh, ask you what you're earning now. That would that would that would be rude. But we will now sort of look at. So you're brewing at Brisbane Brew House, and you weren't the first brewer at uh, Green Beacon because Mark and Adrian, the founders, had gone off and studied under Charlie Bamforth and yeah. came back, and they were the first brewers. Um, and I, I think they, uh, they they admit quite freely that. The beers that they were making aren't what Green Beacon has become famous for. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, I, even Adrian, if you speak to Adrian, he will say to you, man, the beers were pretty shit. And I don't think so. I think. I, I wouldn't have said that. No, but. no. I mean, the balance wasn't there. And balance is something that is, is very hard to get. Nobody can teach you balance. Balance is something that you have to work at for yourself. That's the main thing about beer. Uh, or any food for that matter, is one thing, if there's one thing that's a little bit too much, then it stands out and then it kind of takes away from the balance. Obviously, if you want to make a chocolate beer, you want to make sure there's chocolate there, but it's still a beer, you still want beer there. you got to balance it. And so the beers were, I was coming from the Brisbane Brew House. It was, it was very difficult to brew there. The equipment was not good at all. It was, at Brisbane Brew House? Yeah. It was, it's a challenge, yeah. It was, it was a big challenge. But I've learned a lot walking away from there as well. you got to sometimes, you can't just look at bad things thinking you've not learned anything from it. You can take bad things and go, what I don't want to do. What is a, what is, I don't want to do that. It was bad and that means I want to make sure I'm not that person or I don't want, I don't want to be that brewer. So the beer's, I was jealous at the um, when I tasted the first beers on the opening night of Green Beacon because I was yeah of Green Beacon because I went the amount of work I put in trying to make beers good at Brisbane Brew House. Adrian has never brewed in his life, and these beers were tasting. They were drinkable. They were cleanly fermented beers. The balance wasn't there, but they were drinkable, and that made me really jealous. And uh, I I will still go and say the beers weren't too bad. But when I started, when I got there, um, the first thing I thought was, I think, obviously, they had to um, believe in me or trust me. But that took, you know, they, they started trusting me and I started tweaking recipes. So how, how long after the opening did you come to work at uh, Green Beacon? They opened up um, Australia Day. 
I think when I, when I just started. I started 13. Yeah, 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 that's right. And I started there end of August of that year. Um, and I was I was really happy when I first walked into Green Beacon in Tenerife. I looked at that brewery and I said to myself, I want to work here. I saw the tanks, I saw the bar, everything. I just fell in love with it. Um, I liked the name, I liked the branding of it, and I just said, "This is where I want to work." And um, and I was, uh, I got and that there. Was it. You, yeah, you're still yeah. getting a little bit misty-eyed thinking about yeah, yeah. To, to that. No, no, definitely. Because again, like a, you know, again, not, not sort of dissing the, the the beers or anything like that, but I remember going in, lovely brewery, loved Adrian and Mark. They were really yeah. passionate, really, really uh, interesting guys, um, and. The, the 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 beers were what I sometimes describe as being of local interest. You know, if you're down at the brewery, you drink them, you drink them quite happily. You probably wouldn't seek them out in the shops. Um, if, if you're looking, at, is the way they describe them. But then I remember um, when it was the probably the 2014 um, Roy, uh, uh, exhibition beer competition, the the, the Queensland, you know, the the RNA beer competition. Yeah. And I was judging, I was judging with guys like uh, Scotty Hargrave and sitting at a table and this beer came along and I thought, wow, someone in Brisbane is making this beer. And it was a, a Kölsch. Um, and I marked my card to find out, specifically find out afterwards who had made that beer because it was, I think it was just half a point or a point off a, off a gold medal. And I was really surprised that, gee, who in Brisbane is making this and when I found out it was uh, it was your Kölsch, and uh, I, I realised then that the, the beers had really come a long way, um, and even that shortly after you'd started. Yeah, um, that beer was it was always one of the most difficult ones. That beer, it's it breaks you making it, but if when it tastes good, it, you forget about everything. But um, yeah, I look. That was hard work. Yeah. That was really hard work. But it's also been discontinued. And you know, I, I yes. was always surprised to hear that it just never really sold because we had it at the exhibition. And I ended up, you, you guys were on tap with us at uh, what is now Craft Beer Alley at the exhibition. And yep. uh, I had to prize it out of the you know Chris Borbus's hands and because he'd wanted the Wayfarer wheat. And I said, no, I want the Kolsch. I want the yes. Kolsch. And... It always outsold, and we then we'd put the the Wayfarer on, and it just would never sell as well. So we put the Kolsch back on, and it was a, a, another a bit that I learned uh, a lot about because I realised that maybe it's our enthusiasm for it that's driving it selling so well. Yeah, it can be. I mean, you can see it over the bar as well. Um, the bar staff is if they really like something, we will sell more of it because they are the people pushing it. But the Kolsch was always you can see the. the the hard thing with that was you always had to explain the name. People did not understand Kolsch. German I mean, Palau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and you look at, well, because we'll talk a little bit about how some of your, your, your beers have changed over the years, but and you, you can never get away from how important a name is. No, no. Look, it, it, was, always, it was always difficult to explain to people. Even you've seen um, just a reason brewery discontinued a Pilsner and they put a lagering because... We only found out. We we always thought that Pilsner is it's a lager. We all know it, don't we? Yeah. But apparently not. But Pilsner, I, I would argue that Pilsner is a little bit different in that case. You know, for example, Wayfarer um, wheat. People have a funny thing about wheat. Yeah. So Wayfarer tropical ale. 
you don't create that barrier no, to sale at no. the start. And once they because once they tried it, yeah. um, it was a little bit different. Whereas yeah. the, the the pilsner, I think pilsners have become so debauched that when people try a good pilsner, yeah. It's too challenging for a lager drinker and not challenging enough for a craft beer yeah, drinker. Yeah, you can always you can have that. We also found out that some people or friends of ours, when you talked about a pilsner, they did not even know that it was a lager. They were yeah. just like, "What is that?" So that's the decision we made when we, I when we discontinued the the culch, I said, you know, we have to have that sort of we have to have a lager that type of beer in the brewery. Because we still get a lot of people coming in and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't like a hoppy pale beer and you want an easy drinking lager, that's awesome. But we've got to give that person what they want. Yep. And that's how the lager came in. And I said, I don't want to have a Pilsner. I don't want to have uh, a, a Munich Helles. Like on the on the label, we say the lager. Yep. So anybody can come in, they know what lager is in Australia. So that when you get they get to the bar, they say, I'll have a lager. You don't have to explain what it is. What's a Munich Alice? You don't have to explain that. Yep. But we make the lager in the style of a uni, uh, of a Munich Alice, but we just call it a lager. It's a lager. Yeah, okay. and same with the, the Wayfarer. It took us, it's still one of the top-selling beers at our, at our brewery, the Tenerife Brew Pub. And that's because we've got staff that can tell people what it what it was, a wayfarer wheat. Yep. People go and say, I don't like wheat beer. But people don't understand there's a lot of different wheat beers. Wheat beer doesn't mean banana clove. Wheat beer can be an American wheat, what that beer was based off. And it took us three years of constantly telling people what it was, what it was. This is in Queensland. And we got a real big following. When we went down south, all of a sudden we couldn't sell the beer again. Because nobody down south wanted the wheat beer. So we said, well, why don't we just make a tropical pale ale? It's all the same beer. Change the name, so now it's selling again. Yeah. It's a, you can't get away with you know, marketing. I, I think Cooper's, what is now pale ale, um, the, the, not the sparkling ale, the green, yep. um, I think was initially, a beer very similar to that was Cooper's Dinner Ale or it had another incarnation oh, really? before it came out as Cooper's Pale Ale. Um, yeah. If I remember my uh, Cooper's history book um, properly. But it's, and there are a whole lot of beers. There's a whole lot of low-carb beers that were now called Diet Ale or Diet Lager. Um, yes. But they didn't sell because blokes did want a diet. But as soon as no. you called it low-carb, that's a positive thing as opposed to a negative. And Maybe in five years from now, there will be something different again. Yeah. Um, because you've got to change with... I'm not saying you've got to chase your own tail with marketing, but you've got to be ahead. You've got to stay... You've got to change with the market as well. You can't just not do anything. As Pete and I like to say, it's the craft beer business, and yes. no one of those words is more important than the other. Yeah. Um, it's no. Business is important as well. Look, um, one thing that Peter Aldrit from Ballarat said to us, and he said it so many times. And not being in a brewery business then, you, I don't think you could understand, but he would just always say, people, you can make the best beer in the world. If you can't sell it, it's not worth a pinch of shit. He said it so many times. And the more and more, every year we go on, we learn that. I, I can see it happening. Yep. You know, we've made, um, we've made very good beer. And then sometimes, you know... It, you know, but why is it not selling as fast as what we thought it should be selling? It, it's good beer, but it doesn't work like that. You physically have to make people aware of it. You have to show it. You have to put 
the can in front of their face and say, this is the beer, taste it. Because if you're not going to do that, it's going to be really hard. And that's where having wheat on the label, if someone thinks, I don't like wheat beers, even though it doesn't taste like a wheat beer, yeah. I, don't, I don't like that and they won't even try it. And then if they do try it, there's still that negative perception and flavour being a perception yeah. can have an effect. So it's- We've seen that so many times. We've had people saying, I don't drink wheat beer. You say, just have a taste. And I taste it and I go, that's actually not bad. <laughs> so at a lot of um, at, uh, festivals, yep. we would see that guys coming in saying, we don't like wheat beers. You would give them a taste of that and that same person would come back multiple times drinking that beer saying, we love this beer. I never thought I would like a wheat beer. But then you still have to keep on doing that. If you say tropical pale ale, which more people kind of know now, they don't associate that with banana or clove. Um, it's just a bit easier. And I guess the third bit I'd like to talk about, uh, while we're sort of talking about the evolution of um, some of Green Beacon's core range, is the Three Bolt that started off very much, as a, from my memory, as being much more of an American-style pale ale and is now more of an Australian... So the Australian hop, um, how that started, when I got to Green Beacon, we, the Windjammer was was an all-American IPA, yep, but only at 5.8%. Freebolt was, there was Galaxy in there, so that's something we've never changed. Um, there was Mosaic as well. That's something we've never changed, but it had some American cascading in it. Okay. Then we had the Amber that was all English hops, and there was no hop back at that point in the brewery. And I've, at with home brewing, I've, made a lot of beers with a hop back. And I thought, for me, making beer without a hop back, then going to a beer with a hop back, it's two completely different things. The mouthfeel, um, the resinous mouthfeel you get from a hop back, you just cannot get that with a light kettle addition or mm. with a dry hop. They are completely different things. You get this, it's almost like a oily mouthfeel that you get this so resinous with a hop back. So the guys at that point went to America to do the um, Craft Brewers conf- Conference over there. Yep. And I said, please bring me back a hop back. All I want for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they did. And of course, in Australia, you can't import hop flowers except for little creatures. They, they've got some sort of a deal. They've with got a, a section that's a quarantine. Um, quarantine section, yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, also tasting that beer back in the day. It was something like no other thing I've ever tasted. When I when when I got to Australia, I never I always thought I don't like pale ales because I've tasted, tasted some of the English pale ales. It was way too bitter for me. Yeah. And me and my wife drove from Emu Park all the way to Perth. In Rockhampton. Yeah, from Rockhampton. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And outside of Perth, we stopped for a. I have to meet your wife one day because she sounds like an. In- Incredible catch. A very, <laughs> very, very <simple>. strong person. <laughs> very strong person. <laughs> so um, she, we stopped, at, you know, we were camping and uh, I saw this little creature's pale ale and I thought, I don't like pale ales, but I tried this and I tried that. I'm like, what is this? Lychee, grapefruit. It was just amazing. Um, anyway, so I found out that, that was made with, you know, using hot back. So, Ask the guys to get me hop back, so of course we can only get Australian hops. And then I started looking at, you know, 
we would get cascade, you know, from the states. And I, but they were doing cascade over here, and I'm like, why is nobody? Like honestly, at that point, this is six years ago. I don't think Australian hops were nearly as popular as what they are now. Uh, you had the Galaxy. Uh, I don't think, yeah, you had Galaxy. Galaxy was, yeah, it was four Stone, years into yeah. its um, Stone, because Stone would really Stone would make it, that yeah. popular. Um, but I didn't know much about Cascade from here, and I thought, why are people not using it? And I would hear brewers talking about saying Australian hops being uh, inferior to American hops, and I thought, I ordered some uh, back then. Was still Owen was was you know the OJ, person yep. yeah who I dealt with, and I called him up and said, "Send me some you know Cascade." I open it up and I'm like, "Wow, this is amazing! Why are people not using this?" And same with uh, Vic Secret and Ella. So that's how Windjammer IPA came to what it is today. Is because I had I had a hop back and I wanted to use it. And I wanted off, so I just had to use Australian hops. I could have used New Zealand hops, but then I thought, you know, it's our hop, it's an Australian hop, why not use it? And that's how that beer came about, which is mostly Australian hops, and we've got some American hops to, you know, to fill things out a little bit. And um, I fell in love with it, uh, all Australian hops, and we use a fair bit of it. So to come back to the three bolt, it had a bit of galaxy in it, which it still does. And but it's got Australian uh, cascading it. Okay. Now same with the Windjammer, we use a lot of Australian uh, cascade. So we use a lot of all Australian cascade and most of our beers to fill things out. But then we use some American hops, some Australian hops because you know I love that that hops. You know HBA hops are great. And has it changed a little bit? Because I remember it always having a little bit of a punchier bitterness. Um, much like an American style pale ale, and these yes. days it's a little bit softer malt, and it, it, it's maybe more balanced, but it's just that more gentler mouthfeel. Yeah, that's also. I hear a lot of you know brewers saying the beer is the same; it's never changed. And I just always look at that thinking that's bullshit. I, I was going to ask you what's your call on little creatures. Is it, it the same it, beer? It had to change. Yep. There's no way in the world it could it can be the same beer. And you've got a different brew house that they're brewing it on. Um, hops change and people tweak recipes. You can try as hard as you can to make it the same. Um, but the main things you've got to try to, to keep it good and the changes you make are for the better, not for the worse. There's a lot of people think change equals dumbing down or that the accountants have got hold of the brewery. Is... Not, not at all. Not at all. I don't think, I think that's the wrong way of looking, looking at it. You've got to look at every change you make. It should be for the better. If you, if you start making changes to save money, that's a day that I, I will not work at this brewery. If we have to make, and I mean, even Adrian, I've, I've asked him before, you know, we, we talked just before the sale. And I said, so does this, this mean I'll have to start, you know, dropping hops out to make a beer cheaper? And he's like, no, keep it the same. No, don't make any changes. I don't think they want us to make any changes. So we're not going to put in less hops to make the beer cheaper. We're going to try to make it cheaper by, you know, if you can get more volume, if you can squeeze more out of the brew house, getting, you know, using less chemicals, things like that. That's where you want to save money. Not not in the beer, obviously. Not, <laughs> so just anyone that's yeah. listening and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, cleaning chemicals. In, yeah. in the brew house, yeah, yeah. yeah. But not at the expense of quality. Yeah. So... We are where we are because of quality. We want it to be 
Um, I always say that I don't want to be the best brewer, but I want to be one of the best brewers. Uh, I don't want to make the best beer in the world, but some of the best beers in the world. The quality, it should, it's, it's about quality. And for me, I drink a lot of beer and I want to drink our beer. If I can't drink our beer, then, I mean, how can I sell that beer? Yeah. We would like to thank Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging for sponsoring this edition of Beer is a Conversation. If you are looking for a more efficient way to package your small run, collaboration or special release beers, make sure you have your own conversation with the guys from Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. They specialise in supplying ready-to-fill, shrink-sleeved cans or bottles to the craft beer industry. They take care of everything for you and take the pain out of packaging your special brews. If you would prefer a label or sticker on your cans or bottles, Rallings can help with this as well. Just give Paul or Brad a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss how they can help you. If you can't stop to write down that number right now, it's in the show notes with a link to their website. One of the things you, you raise, and it's, it's one of the reasons, so that was a really lovely way to sort of uh, introduce uh, you, um, because we've, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while, as you know, uh, yeah. so thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, thank you. But I wanted to um, talk about experimental hops. I've just seen in my Facebook feed the number of um, brewers who are making experimental hops and collabs and things, and I know that you've been using some of the HPA um, numbered hops, so you know, I've got some spec sheets in front of me, HPA 033, for example, not yet named, it's been used in a couple of uh, trials, but I'm fascinated that a brewer who's known for being fastidious, being very precise, as I think has come across uh, in this chat so far, um, using a hop that is relatively unknown, and I, I just wanted to find out what is the process that you go through when you're presented with an experimental hop? You've got the the um, HPA or you know the, the other hop growers spec sheet, but what? How do you go about making a beer to showcase that hop and trial that hop? What's the f- first thing that you do? It's, it's the experimental hops for me are sometimes a lot like any hop. If I if I want to use a hop that I don't know, or if I'm looking for something different. First thing I'll do is find out, you know, the supplier. I'll take that hop. I'll, I'll find out what have they got to say about that hop. And I'll just Google whatever I can get on that hop. I'll go to places like, I'll find out breweries that has been using that particular hop. So whether that's an experimental hop or uh, a hop that's been around, that's got a name. I will then look at, you know, I'll Google search who's made who's made a single hop beer with this uh, anything like that. And I'll, I'll even go on to rate beer or things like that to see what people say about a particular beer, like what aromas do they find? Do they like it, yes or no? Then in what styles did they use that beer, uh, that hop? Was it in a lager? Was it, you know, what is it, was it really well suited for? Mm-hmm. And then get that bit of information and then we'll go from there. So you would do all of that? And potentially get preconceived notions about it before you open up the bag and get... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes if we've opened up a bag and we don't know exactly what we're working with, we will have a you know smell and see, well, oh, it's pretty piney or it's got this really... I mean, we just had a hop from the from the US that to me smelled like, um, like coconut suntan lotion. <laughs> okay. 
and that was so strong. Yeah. Um, but some, some are more herbal, some are more woody, some you know piney and so forth. But we will, yeah. I want to get as much information off that hop before we use it in anything, and then we will open up the bag. We will smell the bag. First thing I want to smell is what's before we have any oxygen going into the bag. I want to have a smell what's what's sitting there, and then we'll take the hops out. And I, just from a visual perspective, I'll look at the palettes. Is it a big palette, a small palette? Just, you know, for yourself, just information like mm -hmm. it. You know, it could come, you know, it could make a difference with your dry hop. You know, um, we will I will look at the color of the hop. Is it yellow? Is it green? Is it dark green? Um, how easily does it crumble in your fingers? You know, does it feel sticky? All of those. Um, you'll get spec sheets, you know, you want to see, you know, what's the alpha, what's the oil. I look at a lot of oil content always. Okay. Um, especially with our big hoppy beers. Yep. So I'm looking at 016 um, yep. that you've got in front of you and your total oils 2 to 3.6, for example. So. Yes. So for me, I know that's a, that's a, that's a good amount of oil. Mm -hmm. Galaxy, you always get that about the three, two and a half to three, which is good. Um, so that's what I were looking. The, you know, if I look at a low alpha hop, I will go and say, you know, just, we might use that for a lager. Low uh, IBUs or low um, alpha acids, we'll yep. use it for a lager. And also depending on what they say, you know, what can we expect of it? But for a hop like HBA 016, the mm -hmm. first thing that came to mind, we've done a beer with it before. It was an IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like a West, just a West Coast IPA. And this time I spoke to um, Michael and I said, well, we've done it with a clean yeast. How about we look at using that hop with a, a really expressive yeast? Mm -hmm. So we went with a wild Saccharomyces yeast strain that is quite tropical. And then we put this hop in and see what the biotransformations from that hop mm -hmm. does to the beer. And um, so that's kind of what we what we look at. You yeah. know, if we look at HBA 033 is another hop we'll be using soon. And um, we've used that one as well before. And it says, you know, intense mango. So I know if we're going to use the expressive ALEs that is already producing some mango, that you might just add tomato to tomato maybe. Yeah. Not necessarily, but kind of like that's the way I look at it. So I said to Michael, how about we take that hop and we it's use... It's Michael Capaldo, yeah. obviously. Yes. How about we take that hop and we just do a clean fermentation West Coast IPA. Mm -hmm. We don't have any strong yeast characters there to... We want to see what that hop is really doing. And we will add that hop different stages throughout the boil to see what the bitterness comes across as. We'll do two dry ops at two different fermentation temperatures. Mm -hmm. So we look at it. We'll do one warm, so we get we really get our biotransformations bio happening with that hop, and while you know the yeast is still active, and then the second dry op we'll we'll do that at a lower temperature, and that way you get more of the the raw hop aroma and flavor coming through. Mm -hmm. And I think that way you kind of you get all the bits and pieces of that hop together so you can really see what it is like instead of just having it all warm dry hopped yeah. or you understand what i'm saying yeah 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 have you ever fallen in love with a experimental hop that 
Yeah, OJ is very uh, yeah. adamant that when you sort of talk to him about these things, he goes, "Look, just because we're trialing it doesn't mean that we're going to commercialize it." And I try not to. Yeah, I, I try not to, to kill my children. Basically, you have to be so careful with the way things are going these days. Even the hops with the name. Yeah, I've seen people starting up breweries and they build a flagship beer with a hop that I know there's not a lot of it. Yeah, and then I'm just you're going to get into trouble. You're gonna if it explodes. Yeah, if that beer is great with that hop, if that's your signature flavor. So with our three bolt, you know, it's it's mosaic. Mosaic is there, mm-hmm. you know, straight up there. If that if we can't get mosaic, then that brand is is completely different. Yeah, it's going to be a completely different beer. So we also did a um, a beer recently with some of the Yakima Chief experimental hops. Yeah. And one of them we smelled, the one that I said that had some coconut in there. I think Bolt has done something with that as well. It's almost got a barrel aging. I think that was a different one. A different one, okay. I think that was a different one. I know one, yeah, it had a real, that barrel age. This one, I think, was tropical fruit. And I can't remember that. Maybe it was HBC 520 or 522, one of those. And it had this really nice coconut. And I just thought that hop would be amazing in Wayfarer wheat. Mm-hmm. I think, if you think tropical for me, I think that coconut works really well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it should be tasting or smelling just like, you know, straight up coconut, but yep. small amounts of that can kind of trick your brain into it's something that's tropical. Yep. And, but I smelled it and I'm like, there's no way, even if they said they've got 100 kilos of it, I'm not going to use it because it might be gone next year. And so you're falling in love. You're just setting yourself up with disappointment. Well, look, looking at these spec sheets, um, you know, for example, 016, which you've used, uh, there's 280 plants in a plot, um, and there are no current plans for commercial development of this variety. So you don't want to love that one too hard. With uh, 016? 016, yeah. Um, I think that's actually, that's that oh, might be old news. That I, might be old news, okay. I think they're gonna, that's becoming commercialised next year. Uh, okay, we'll have to get onto OJ and find out what it's going to be called, if they've got a name yeah, for it yet. Yeah, I, I don't know yet. I don't know yet, but... Um, I think that's going to be, that sounds to me like a really cool hop. People kind of, they say it's like Galaxy, but with more orange tones to it. I'll have to find out because looking at the photo of the, it's, unfortunately people are listening to this, but it looks like a Galaxy cone in the photo. Quite big, so that yeah. Long, um, whereas 033, I'm not sure if this is great radio, I was talking about <laughs> hop, hop photos, um, which is a much shorter, stubbier. Um, yeah, it looking, does. Looking, it does. No, that. 016 and it looks like almost like a cigar i've yeah. seen some totally some uh, when cigar. we get the the fresh hops from uh hpa we do the galaxy fresh hop beer and that those cones it's so big huge <laughs> long the most beautiful things you've seen okay well that's good to know so what beers um have you put the 016 into we've done yeah so we've done a straight west coast ipa with it mm-hmm. just a small batch to see what it does and this one we're doing is a hazy IPA. Okay. So hazy is also one of those, you know, some people like them, some people don't like them. And I can totally see where people come from it. Um, I specifically drink with my eyes. Yeah. I think you get hazy and you get murky. Those are two different terms. Yeah. If you get murky beers that looks like custard, I don't think that looks good. Um, hazy is, it should, if you look at a glass of, you know, like Pacific Ale or Cooper's Pale Ale, yeah, same thing. Hazy beers. There's hazy beers, but they're not opaque. Mm. To me, it's kind of, an, especially if it's like a low color 
beer, it glows. Same thing with Ho Garden. I, I was going to say that when it's sort of sitting on the table and it almost looks like there's a light inside yeah, it because the it's way beautiful. That it's reflecting light back out, really blonde. Yeah, but as soon as you go too hazy, then it doesn't glow anymore. It's, it, it's just, it's not right. The beer we've made, this H, HPA 016 with, it is really hazy, really hazy, but that's because of the wild yeast strain we used in it. And um, I'm looking forward to, I've tasted it. We went, I went over to Tenerife. We made a small batch that's going to get served at Beer Insider this weekend. This weekend? Okay. This weekend. So last weekend by the time anyone hears this podcast, yes, unfortunately. Yes. So you've missed it. Sorry. And, um, but we, it will be made, made available to the public as well. Okay. Because we've done Only at the tap room or will it be? Tap room. I think, no, some will be made available. Only 20 kegs. Okay. So depending on how much we sell at Beer Insider. Yep. Whatever's left over, we'll do a few cakes here and there. Okay. But you can come to the brew pub. You can come and have a taste and We're see for yourself. We're a podcast, unfortunately. But so, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. there should be... Um, what, what we do with these really small batches is we will send one out to Perth, one out to okay. uh, Melbourne. Yep. To, you know, just or maybe two if we have to. Yeah. But just very small um, bars usually. You don't have a name for people to look out for? The, what we started doing, we just call it, uh, this beer is going to call it HPAZ. Okay. Uh, the first one. There we go. Chris Borbus came up with that, that name, with, <laughs> which is, I, I like it. I really like it. Um, but the series we, we've got is just the Green Beacon and HPA series we will have. Okay. And so the next one will be Green Beacon um, HPA 033. So this first one will be just 016. Yep. And are you interested in getting feedback from people that try it about how a hop has expressed itself? Um, you know, how they enjoy a beer that's made with the yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We because we also do the um, wet hop beers every year, mm. and we usually do two of them side by side. So one year we did the Galaxy and Enigma, and Enigma is a really strange hop. Uh, I think it's one of those. Too much of it is, doesn't mean it's good. Small amounts, I think, is a really nice hop. And I, when it came out, it was so pungent. And we thought, oh, people are going to hate this. They're not going to like this because people know Galaxy and people, that hop is popular for a reason. Yeah. And it uh, turned out people love the Enigma one more than the Galaxy. So well, that's good. Okay. So then the following year, we did, um, I think it was Galaxy and Big Secret, maybe. But people love the Galaxy more than again. So with these beers, we are. We are making it and we are sending two cartons to HPA in Tasmania. And I'll send a carton to Michael Capelda as well uh, in Cairns. And then so that they want to do some testing on it. They want to you know, get their people to smell it, to see what it does in certain beers so that they can get feedback of it. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's good that way. So that we can see what it's like. We can get customers involved and then, then also they can have the beer and see what they think of that particular hop. How does it come across? Now, next week, you're heading off to Yakima. Um, yes. So you, you've spoken a lot about Australian hops, but you're heading over to, to Yakima. And is that part of the sensory process of, of trying the, the, the harvested hops and see what, how they're expressing themselves? Yes, yes, just to, just to learn more. That's always the main thing with, with us and, you know, with me. I, I find you got to... You just always got to go out and look and look who's doing what, who's, you know, talk to people and get more and read up and stuff. So 
I think a lot of people just take, well, this brewer said this is how it works and I just do it like that instead of researching for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you get into trouble because somebody might teach you the wrong thing and then you are doing the wrong thing and they just go on from there to there. So with things like this, you go over there and just, you know, learn from them as much as possible. You know, go over to HBA, learn from them. You know, sometimes when you, you know, for instance, at the, the last BrewCon we just had, I listened to um, Simon from HPA. He had a... Simon Wittick. Yeah. Um, great. We've had a, a couple of chats with him. Yeah. So I saw that, that talk he had. And let's say out of the half an hour, 25 minutes of that, I could not understand what he was talking about. <laughs> but of that 25, there was five minutes when he was talking about different picking times and how the hops setting themselves up for, you know, uh, winter's coming. And yeah. then when they start really expressing the tiles coming out, I thought that was really cool. That was really interesting. Uh, we've got a video I might link to in this um, where he explained even when they pick in, yeah. you know, in, in the lead up and the chemical changes that take the, the, it's amazing, the, yes. take place just in a week or two it's so cool. before they – and the harvest window is pretty pretty slight for, yes. with, with these hops. Yeah. No, it's, it's really cool. So just to get more of an understanding of hops, you know, for a long time we just – Look at a hop and you go, it's mosaic. But mosaic is different, different batches. And the same with hops from over here. Different batches are different. They smell different. Even though the characteristics are there, but they are a little bit different. And we are at that point now with our brewery where, you know, we, we've, the way I look at it, we've got a good foundation. Now we've got to start building and building, getting more data and getting more info on what we are actually working with, all your raw materials. It's interesting you say that, though, because wine has built its, you know, wine is only made once a year. So there are seasonal variations and, you know, the vintages, but because they make it once a year, they can sort of say, well, this is the vintage. Whereas brewers are a little bit hamstrung because their um, ingredients change year on year, but then they also change through the year as they age and yet the expectation is that beer is going to be yes. the same yes well you get there are some breweries who build a whole business model of just making one-off beers and that's that's okay that's cool that i don't see anything wrong with that um i think it would be very hard to do that uh, running out of ideas what are you going to do this what what's next um i find that's okay but i'm i'm a person who like to have tried to make something good over and over because that's process for me that's nailing down something where i know if i'm going to add this into this i'm going to get that for me that is a a massive achievement but that's what at the very start of this chat you talked about that's what took you to uh your your dental um work is that that precision and preciseness yeah that's also it's just you're putting you start off with nothing when you do dental technology they gave you. They give you a, a model with a missing teeth on it, and a and they prepped some enamel off it or something like that. And they say you've got to build a tooth to sit on that that goes into the patient's mouth. So you start with nothing, and you start just you start with the process and you start building, 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 and you keep going through all these processes until you've got the finished product. And you looked at and you look at it and you're like, man, that's cool. I made that and that's cool. So now we've got to do the same procedures apply to the next one but it's always a little bit different every tooth is a little um, you know it's a little bit different from somebody else's or from the next one 
So beer is the same. It's always a little bit different, but you still want to go, you want to nail your process. You want to make sure that if I'm doing these steps, I always get a clean fermented beer. I get the beer tasting like that. And that's the beer that you want um, to put into somebody's hands. You build a brand, you, you, you build this pale ale. And I find that I want to drink that same pale ale. If I walk into a bar and I know I like, uh, for instance, a Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, if it's going to be different from day to day, then it might be not. It might be good today. It might not be good tomorrow. But I know sp- uh, Pacific Ale. If I go into this bar, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. It's it tastes the same, and I like that flavor. So I want that beer again, and I find the same thing for me with our customers and with our beers i want to make that same beer over and over and as good as the previous day and the same with it's people uh, think a lot of times people go and they they don't if things are going well they don't worry as soon as something goes wrong then all of a sudden they got to work out what went wrong why is the beer not tasting so good well i think you should also if a beer is tasting good you got to work out why is it tasting good what did you do to make that beer taste good? And once you've worked out why you've, what you've done to make that beer taste good, then you just do that again. You just don't throw stuff in with the hope it's going to come out good. Johan van der Volt? Van der Volt? Is that better? Van der Volt. Van der Volt. Thank you very much. I, I, I could talk uh, for, for another hour. Unfortunately, the podcast is only uh, one hour. So uh, I'll have to wind up there. But we'll, now that you're willing to uh, jump on the podcast, we'll have absolutely get you back very soon to awesome. talk thank you very more much. about Green Beacon and, and, and your beers. So thank you very much for joining us on Beers of Conversation. Thank you, Matt. And that was Johan van der Volt. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation.